Welcome to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Uh, wrote a book called The Drama of Scripture. His name is Michael Goheen. Uh, it's, it's a brilliant book. If you'd like to read it, um, I think I've got a copy somewhere. Oh, there's local bookstores, but here goes. He says this about Paul. He says, trained as a Pharisee, Saul of Tarsus, or Paul, as we kind of know him as, he had been taught to think of human history as divided between the present age and the age to come. In Jewish thinking, the present age was dominated by sin, evil, and death, but in the age to come, God was to return to usher in his kingdom, where all things were to be made right, where the disastrous effects of sin and what have you would be no more. And so, though, when a group of people in Jerusalem begin to make the claim that in the crucified Jesus, this kingdom had already come, Saul was incensed. He attacks this heretical sect with zealous ferocity. But everything changes for Saul when the risen Jesus personally confronts him on the road to Damascus. Because as a carefully trained first century Jewish person, resurrection means rising bodily into the life of the age to come. If Jesus is the Jewish Messiah alive from the dead, that means the age to come has dawned. The kingdom of God is here. The newborn Christian and former Pharisee, now known as Paul, must rethink all he thought he knew. Last week, I spoke about new creation. We've been speaking it for some weeks. I talked about perspective, about how the way in which Paul and the early church saw the world around them. And what I've just read really highlights that change of perspective that took place for Paul. Suddenly for him, in and through the death and resurrection of Jesus, the promise and the reality of new life, of new creation had dawned. Where there was brokenness and destructiveness, where there was death, decay, where things seemed not as they ought to be, there was now a hopeful reality entering in. Breaking in, new life was on the horizon, in and through Christ. God is doing a restorative work, a transformative work, where sin, the sting of death, would be overcome with new life. And it was touching on people from all walks of life and from all sorts of cultures, all sorts of backgrounds, all sorts of situations. And so it's by seeing the world through this kind of perspective that Paul is able to say, the verses that we've shared in the previous weeks, that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new creation. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. At 1 Corinthians 15, 22, he can say this, that just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. At Ephesians 2, verse 10, he can say that we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things 
that he planned for us long ago. Ephesians 4, verse 22, he then encourages the church to throw off your old sinful nature, your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception and what have you. Instead, he says, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. There are many other places where Paul continues to say a similar kind of thing, because from his perspective, life, a new life had come into reality through the resurrection of Christ, the new creation where we are to be cleansed of sin and its disastrous effects, had in fact begun. It's a bit like this old Stanley Bailey planer here. We were once created with a purpose, like this planer. We were to live as God's image bearers in this world, to make him known and to continue to shape this world for good, for God's ways. But as we know, sin had its way with us. And we became tarnished. We became bent out of shape. We were short a few screws, perhaps, like this one. Seized up, rusty, broken. It's not able to function and do the thing it was made to do. This one's not anyway. But then Christ came. He died. He rose again. And in doing so, he overcame sin and its effects on us, and brought about the possibility of renewal or new life. He brought about the possibility of resurrection, of transformation from death to life, so that we could do the good things he intended for us way back at the very beginning. Like this one here. There's no rust on this. There's no corrosion. It's been restored. Jamie Newman, he's not here today, but he actually restored this for real. It's like a 1920s Stanley Bailey uh, planer. And he's, yeah, he's painstakingly restored it. I don't know, I'm not sure. It's like what Paul says at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. He says, The God who said, Let there be light in the darkness has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus. In other words, the God who did this creation work at the beginning of all time, who said, let there be light there, has now, in fact, done that work in us. A creation work like at the beginning, done now in us, through Christ. He has created light. He has put light into us so that we could know him and be like him, so that we would do his will here in this place. In Christ, we are moved from here to here. This, this all sounds very promising and hopeful, doesn't it? To me, it does at least. But when we actually stop, though, and think about real life for a moment, when we bring all of this sort of talk back to reality, like not reality as in sitting in church here on a Sunday. <laughs> Sorry. Not like how we're sitting in church, but more like midweek reality, real life. 
when maybe the kids aren't doing as they're told, when you're having car issues, or when you're in an argument about something with your partner or with your friend or whatever, when your finances are looking dangerously depleted or even worse than that, this talk of new life and new creation can flat out seem like a fairy tale. Real life can grind us down. Real life. It can hurt us. It can heap loads of pressure onto us. And as a result, we can very easily become hurt and hurtful towards others. And at the end of the day, this talk of God creating us anew, putting this new light into us, can actually seem at odds with the darkness that still seems to be, at times, flooding our lives. If you're anything like me, there is not only hard stuff going on around me, but there is still hard stuff, hard stuff going on within me too. Where there is still that sense of brokenness, of things not being as they ought to within me. I have issues. I fail. I hurt people. I let people down. I still have wrong motives. To be blunt about it and put it as the Bible would say, sin still dwells within me. Is this just me or is it all of us? And yet the Bible says that somehow I'm made new, that I'm a new creation. There seems to be some kind of disconnect because when I stop and be honest about myself, I'd say I'm not here, I'm way back here. So what am I missing? Have I missed the boat or something? Over my years here and even before, I've, I've often encountered people who tend to see things or who even say of themselves that they see things in quite a black and white kind of way. And I understand that. Um, where it's either this or it's that. Things are often seen with a fair degree of idealism. Where, say, for instance, in this case, if you're a follower of Christ, well, that means here's the bar. Live up to it. Because if you don't, you know, if there's still sin in you, well, then basically you're way back here. But real life is not as simplistic as this. Things are not actually so black and white. Life is messy and complicated. Again, is that just me? If you look at Paul in Romans 7, he wants to live up to the ideal, like the planer here. He wants to live without sin. He wants to become whole again. But what conclusion does he come about himself? As much as he wants to be here, he recognizes that nonetheless there is a brokenness within him. And he ends up saying that famous line you might know, towards the end of Romans 7, where he says that, For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. And that sounds complicated. We'd all like to live with some perfect life. We'd like to be blissfully living without brokenness, but it's not real life. There is that sense within us all that we are not complete. That no matter how hard I try, I am nonetheless affected by the weight of suffering or whatever. 
down the page in Romans 7, perhaps we can then relate further when Paul goes on to say quite strongly, he says, what a miserable person, person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And he says, thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ. Paul can say this because for him, God stepped into his real life. God came and died, rose to overcome sin, its brokenness, and to bring about new life. And that is a certain thing. That is accomplished. It is finished, he says, done and dusted. But at the same time, it's not a finished work within us, is it? I mean, can anyone here really say that they are the finished masterpiece? The restored planer? Or is it more that we are all still a work in progress, heading towards the certainty of new life and new creation? Heading towards it, but still nonetheless a work in progress towards it. Away from here, toward here. This is the paradox often spoken of in Scripture. It is done. I am a new creation, but at the same time I am being made new. It is both now, not yet, is another term we hear often. Done, but not yet completed within me. This is the f place we find ourselves in life with Jesus. This is real life. God has done a great thing for us, and he has done it, but he's also doing it within us. It's ongoing. We're on a journey. Paul highlights this further when at Romans 8, 23, he's able to say that we believers, we groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, we long for our bodies, we nonetheless long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he's promised us. This is now but not yet kind of language. He's talking about a, a heading towards something. At places like 1 Corinthians 1, 18, he says that the message of the cross may be foolish to those who are heading for destruction, but to those who are being saved, it's the very power of God. At Philippians 2, 12 to 13, he encourages the believers to continue to work out their salvation with fear and trembling because God is working in you, giving you the the desire and the power, or in other words, energizing you to do what pleases him. All this language here that Paul is using highlights that this salvation work, this work of being made new, is in fact an ongoing work. It's a process. We are all works in progress. Not one of us is the finished product. Let me know if you are. In churches like ours, we sometimes would call this sanctification. Uh, in the Eastern Orthodox Church, it's called theosis or deification, which is just a, a fancy word, really, which just talks about where people are seen as being in a process of being made more and more like God, the image of God put in us at the beginning, being restored to us throughout life. 
And I think it's extremely important that we learn to see ourselves, but not only ourselves, but also those around us, the people around us, as being in this process with God. In Christ we are a new creation. We have been saved, but that reality is actually working itself out within us over time, meaning that in this life we stand somewhere here in between these two planars. It's messy, it's complicated, it's not exactly clear. We know where we're heading. It's not yet completed, but our end point is certain. The reason why I think this is important is because, to be blunt about it, I suppose, is that us Christians can actually be quite idealistic. We can quite easily look around at others and very quickly notice all that is wrong with them the way they are living, that they don't quite meet the Christian ideal. And we can be led to be a little bit cold, a little bit exclusive. We can be a little bit superior. When in actual fact, it's not as simple as that. Life is complicated. Perhaps if we don't view others this way, it's possible that maybe we view ourselves this way. We take a look at our real lives in the middle of the week and then become incredibly critical of ourselves, thinking that we must just be the absolute pits when it comes to this being a Christian sort of thing. Failing to realize that actually, yeah, we too are in a process. We are not yet complete. There is still stuff about us that is not as it ought to be but that God is aware of it, he's actually unsurprised by it and is working on it. I remember a time when Ariel and I were going along to what they call DBT, or Dialectical Behavioral Therapy. Fancy word, but nothing too scary. At, um, at Waikato Mental Health. There was some issue, though, that I, was, I had been trying to press for some time about how Ariel was either doing something that I felt was a, some sort of problem or it was, or that she wasn't doing I can't remember exactly what it was, but either way, I had some issue that I was trying to raise. But I distinctively remember the counsellor's well-thought-out response to me once I had said my thing. And he said to me, he said, Well, Nathan, I'm hearing you, but, but, what, you are go- oh, but what are you going to do if she just can't do what you're asking for right now? And the question stopped me in my tracks because what he had finally managed to get me to see was that although my ideal may have been you know, reasonable or whatever, the reality was that Ariel was not in a place in that time where she could do that right now. The reality was that on the picking order of things that she was dealing with, my request was really not a priority. On the grand scheme of things, she was unable to do what I was asking for. And she had good reason. And so what was I going to do? You see, while I was so focused on what I wanted Ariel to change and to do differently, what I hadn't noticed was where she was actually at. The place she was really in. The brokenness she was really dealing with in that time. That was keeping her from being able to live up to actually her own idealism. 
And so I had a choice to make. I either continue to push my, you know, argument or whatever, continue to hold her feet to the fire and try and force something she was actually unable to do in that time. And in doing so, I would have undoubtedly hurt her an awful lot. Or I could have walked out the door and packed a tanty. Or alternatively, I could have let go of my idealism and walk alongside her in the hard place where she was at and journey with her towards this place of healthiness. And at the end of the day, just be realistic and fair toward her. So you'd be pleased to know that I, I have tried very hard to do the latter of those three options. But I've done so because that's actually what God is like with me and all of us. That's what he is like with you. Thank God he is. He treats us as his works in progress. He looks at us as being on a journey with whom he travels alongside through the ups and downs. Thank goodness he does. Through the twists and turns, through the breakdowns and the accidents, no matter how catastrophic, he walks with us and is at work in us in our far from ideal states. And you know what? There's actually huge comfort to be found in that because we all know that none of us are perfect. God knows that too. But he sees what he's actually transforming us to become. And so he's okay with being in the midst of this process here. He is patient. He can cope with living in this area, this gray space between, between the two planers as I've laid out here. Because he is secure in the place that he's leading us to. And we need to be as well. At Philippians 3.10, Paul says this. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead, as in being made new. But I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I've already achieved or reached perfection. But I press on to possess that perfection, for which Christ first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. I wonder how much would change in all of us if the way we treat ourselves and treat the people around us, of how we might treat people who are dealing with the chaos and the confusion and the brokenness of real life, if we viewed them through this kind of lens, that we are in between the two planers. We are on a journey to being made new. It's a done thing, but it's a work in progress. I wonder if we would let go of our idealism sometimes. And instead of trying to force people into our expectations and schedule for the here and now, that we, like God, would journey with them where they're at. Especially when they don't live up to the things that we might desperately want them to. We are all aware, I think, that God meets people where they're at, right? Jesus met with the immoral, the corrupt, the adulterous, the enemy even, the outsider, 
the unclean, the possessed, the uneducated, you name it. Do we do that? Just think of that sinful woman who was cleansed, or who cleansed Jesus' feet at Luke 7. It's implied that this woman was known as having lived a very promiscuous lifestyle. And despite all the religious people there in the room judging her as being so far from their ideal, so much so that they couldn't even believe that Jesus would allow her to touch him, Jesus actually goes on and forgives her. And he embraces her where she's at. But the thing is, for us, we... We never hear about that woman again, but do we really suppose that in that moment she just was completely changed? Her life just was totally cleaned up. She never got caught up in any sort of baggage from the past again. That life from that moment was smooth sailing. Do we we suppose that was the outcome? We don't really know at the end of the day. But I think... It's easy enough to see that in real life, anyone who has lived in those kinds of ways and to get out of it is actually a very complicated process. There are layers upon layers upon layers. There are things to do with upbringing, to do with abuse, all sorts of things to work your way through. And that's not done in an instant, it's a process. And God is well aware of that. Jesus walks with us through the process. He walks through the failures, the successes, the ups and the downs. I mean, just look at the way he walked alongside Peter. The Bible thankfully portrays him as not being the ideal. At times he looks really amazing. At other times, not so much. But nonetheless, God is with him and walks with him. This is, this is all a big subject for me because I have someone who I really respect and look up to in my life. Loves God, lives for God, has committed his whole life to, to God. But a few years ago, he revealed some things to me, shared some stuff with me about his life, about who he was, things that I wasn't aware of. And the ideal that I had held him to suddenly was not, he, he didn't meet the ideal so much anymore. And in that moment... I had to decide whether I was going to continue to try and hold him to my ideals or whether I was going to start to see him a bit like I see myself and everyone else, that he's a work in progress. God's doing something in him. No, he's not perfect. There's things about him which are now surprising to me that many of us would look down upon. But nonetheless, God is with them and is at work with them, just like he is with me and you. So the question I put to us all is, how do we view ourselves? How do we view others? Do we see others or ourselves between the planes of life, on a journey of God making us new? Can we give people permission to be on a journey? Is that okay? Can we give them the space and accept that they're not going to meet our ideals? Can we accept that we won't meet our ideals whilst at the same time still embracing them? Can we walk with people 
on a journey of God restoring them, trusting him with the work that he's doing, even when things look uncertain. We all have those options that I think I was probably given in that counselling room, that, I, that story I told you, that we can either hold people's feet to the fire and undoubtedly hurt them, trying to make them meet the ideal, or we can give up on them altogether, or we can do the thing that God has done for all of us, that we ourselves have benefited from, that whilst we're sinners, Christ died for us, that then he put into us his spirit, that as we go on in life, with our brokenness, with being far from complete, he is nonetheless at work in us, making us whole. I hope that those are some thoughts you can think of and maybe consider in your own views of people around you and friends, loved ones, and even people who maybe you're not so close to. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for your kindness to us and that you haven't been... You haven't been unreasonable. You haven't been harsh with us. You've actually embraced us when we really deserved anything but. You've gathered us in our brokenness and you carry us onwards towards wholeness. I thank you that though you are not under any illusions with us, that you don't seem to have some view of us that we're something we're not. We are broken there's stuff in us that is not, not great or not ideal. But nonetheless, you are embracing of us and redeeming us, making us whole. And I'm so thankful for that. And I just ask that you would help us all in our views of ourselves and others to remember that and to be like you in the way we treat others, that we would embrace and walk with you in the ways ahead, in the walk ahead. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at Huntley Baptist.